You know, a short pastor's kryptonite is a tall podium. I like this. This is, thank you. See, Matt, you know my pain, right, brother? So short podiums are good. <laughs> um, as Matt said, uh, my name is Frank, and we got to know each other earlier this year and just had a strong rapport, uh, being fellow DTS grads, uh, lovers of God, loved by God. Uh, we also have a love for baseball, and uh, both have played. So we have a lot more in common than you know, as well as being vertically challenged, but it's all right, brother. God loves short people. <laughs> uh, a little bit more about me. I do, I am new to the uh, North Central District. I just started this April as the Director of Leadership Development. I like to call that the head of scouting. So I'm a, I'm a sports guy. You'll hear some of these sports things along the way. I'm the head of the scouting department and player development. So um, looking over the new leaders coming in and making sure that they fit the DNA of the EFCA. I am married to a wonderful, amazing woman named Dottie. Without her, I would not be here. God has used her in a lot of ways to shape and form me. Um, uh, uh, sometimes she has helped the Holy Spirit in that. <laughs> Ultimately, she is such a blessing to me. And God has also blessed me with six amazing children. They range from age 26 all the way down to seven. My wife sometimes laments that we will never be empty nesters, so <laughs> that might be true, but it's okay. The Lord blesses. Um, today I'm going to share with y'all, oh, well, actually, let me encourage you a little bit. Being from the NCD, uh, we want you to know that you guys are a part of a family of churches, just in the state of Minnesota alone, we have 174 congregations here. You guys are a part of a large family of churches. And being a part of that family means you have certain uh, rights and privileges. One, you have a district staff that really cares about how you guys are doing. We do care for our leaders. We want our leaders, our pastors, our ministry leaders to be healthy. But we also care for the people of God that are worshiping at their local churches. And so we want you to know that we are praying for you. We want nothing but God's best for you. And if you should ever need help, feel free to reach out to us at the North Central District. Um, that's it about me. This is not about me. This is about the Lord. And so I'm going to open up. And when I talked with Matt about what to, what to preach on, I gave him a couple of choices. That was my bad. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I should have stuck with him going through the series because uh, I told him the other choice could be I was just going through Jude, short little thing. I read the letter and I said, you know, I could do Jude as well. He says, why don't you do Jude? Not knowing how amazingly deep <laughs> this short letter of Jude actually is. I read it. It's hard to find. It's right before Revelation. And you might skip over it because usually it's just one page. Being a former baseball player needing glasses now, I also am lamenting that. Um, let me pray and we'll dive into the letter of Jude. Dear Father, thank you. I'm honored to be here with God's people at Prairie Hill. May there be a mutual blessing. May they be blessed by what you say through me and me being blessed by 
fellowshipping with them, Father. I pray that they know that they really are part of a family of churches. We are here for them. We want nothing but your best for them. And Lord, we want to be a part of, uh, be a part of that and be connected and stay connected and have relationship with Prairie Hill. And so we just pray today is a, is just a first of many things that, um, as being part of the North Central District, we can see them grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and Lord, and go out and be lights in this dark world to bring you glory, Lord, and to bring some, some sheep that are not yet in the fold into the fold. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude is a little letter that packs a big punch. And that pun is intended because you will hear a couple of references to a one of my favorite, not, not one of my favorite movie series, Rocky. I'm an 80s kid. I grew up watching Rocky all the way through. I love them. I'm trying to get my kids to do a marathon with me. Uh, they don't want to. They have their own tastes. But I will make them do that because they need to understand the historical impact that the Rocky series has made on me. Um, I'm going to read through Jude, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about after I go through it. And we'll just dive through this deep, deep letter. Um, start with me here in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and joy be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's era and perished in Korah's rebellion. 
These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord come with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Sounds like the NBA. I'm just playing. <laughs> but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. We're going to pause there for a second. I'm going to read those last two verses for later. We just finished reading Jude, and I know you're like, what in tarnation did we just read? Because <laughs> that's what I said the first time I read I was like, what is going on here? I mean, he... He did a whole lot of, said a whole lot of stuff in this one little letter. Well, we're going to go back to the beginning. Verses 1 through 3. What Jude is doing is encouraging God's people to whom he is writing to stand strong in the faith. To contend, to fight for the faith. In verses 4 through 16, this is the largest section. This is, this is pretty interesting that the largest section of this letter is about the opponents. I think Jude wants God's people to have a really good idea about who the enemy is. Who are those that are trying to stunt or destroy, corrupt, frustrate the faith? Who are these people? So three-fourths of this is dedicated to that answering that question. And the last part, 17 through 23, Jude is teaching the Christians he's writing to how to outlast your enemies. Because what Jude doesn't say is you have to win the fight. He didn't say you have to win the fight for faith. He just said, all you have to do is fight. Because the victory is already won by another. The victory is won by Christ. All you got to do is hold on for the ride. And this, this made me think about Rocky. How many times did that man hit the mat and got back up? 
We're going to talk about that a little bit later. I think it's going to be appropriate for another part of the passage we're going to talk about. But just, just think about that. God doesn't, doesn't necessarily want us to have to win the fight. He's already won the fight. He just wants us to keep fighting. He wants us to persevere. He wants us to outlast our enemies. And if you are, have one eye open in the world today, the enemy is fighting pretty aggressively right now, isn't he? Fighting pretty aggressively. So back to Jude. Jude is first, like every most letters of the ancient times, is introducing himself. And the way he introduced himself to the people he's writing to is, Jude, a slave. This is a leader in a church. And what does he call himself? A slave. And not just any slave. He called himself a bond servant. See, the difference between a normal slave in ancient time and a bond servant is a bond servant had an opportunity to free themselves from their master, but they chose to stay with them. What Judas saying is, I am happily designating myself a slave of Christ. That's his first, this like you walking up and meeting someone else and they say, hey, how are you doing? What do you do? I'm a slave. Okay, (laughs) what do you say to that? But this is how Jude wants people to know him as. You can already tell just from this first line how humble this man is. A slave of what? Of whom? Jesus Christ. See, this is where his joy and servitude comes from. It's not in his work or not what he accomplishes. It's in whom he is serving. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And then he says, the brother of James. And this is important because you figure out Jude is called in himself the slave of his half-brother. How many of you have siblings and you're willing to say, you're your brother or sister slave. No, Jack. Hey, <laughs> no. But see, Jude knew something was different about his half brother Jesus. He figured it out. It was it was revealed to him who he was. And so he's not here to boast about his position in the church. He's here to boast about his savior. And then he then tells those whom he had called. He gives them three major designations. And if you look closely, you'll know that these designations are designations of location. He says, to those who are called. Called, we think, oh, I got my cell phone. People can call me. He's not talking about that. He's saying those who are called out from the world. Those whom God has yanked up from the world. You are in one location. You are in one condition. You are a sinner in the world and God has called you out of that. Beloved in, but I think this is beloved in two. Beloved into God. So you are called out of the world and by love are placed into God. You just changed addresses. You are no longer living in and of the world. You are now living in and of God. 
And then you are kept. The door is locked. There's bodyguards all around. You are kept for Jesus Christ. It, it makes me think about like when someone discovers some type of precious artifact in some type of archaeological dig. I went on a dig in Israel and we've just found big heavy stones. It wasn't anything precious, but it was, they were heavy. They didn't need to be guarded because no one could pick them up. <laughs> but it's like finding something precious in archaeology. And then what do they do? They study it. They, they, they find out what it is, what it means. And then what do they do? They put it in this special container in a museum with all kinds of laser lights surrounding it and guard, uh, armed security all around. There's no way. There's no way you're getting that. And this is what God has done for us. There's no way you're getting my people. They are guarded. They are kept by me. So this is who we are. We are people who have changed addresses and changed conditions into a better, more favorable address and condition. And not only that, we're guarded. We're safe. No matter how you feel, you are safe. The problem is our mindsets are set on things that are not valuable. And so we don't feel guarded because the things that we have found valuable, God himself does not find valuable. And what God deems valuable in us, sometimes we don't value. We don't value the imago day of who we are in Christ. We don't value that God created us in his image and has a purpose for us in this world. We're not, no one is here, whoever is breathing, no one is here by accident. You are here for purpose. You have value. Young people, don't ever let anyone tell you you are a cosmic accident. You were planned before the world was ever created. So you got to answer a couple of questions. One, are you happy to call yourself a slave of Jesus Christ? Does that get you up in the morning? Does that make you tick? Does that give you wings? Or do you begrudge? Do you begrudge the position of being a slave of Christ? And I would ask, I would tell you this, that before you answer that question, if you do answer it begrudgingly, I proffer that there is something you're not thinking rightly about yourself or there's something you're not thinking rightly about who God is. And you need to re-examine that. The other question is, are you confident in your life and identity in Christ? Because remember, you just changed addresses. You're no longer in and of the world. You're now in and of Christ. Are you confident in that identity? Are you content with what God gives you in contrast to what the world offers you now? Or are you trying to have both? I'm getting to some, now see, now you know we're getting to verse four. It's going to get ugly in a minute. <laughs> 
If you are to those to whom Jude is writing, this is his prayer for you. Verse 2. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied. May the love, mercy, and peace of God continually grow towards you. This is what Jude is saying. May it never become stagnant. May it never become dry. May the faucet never be turned off of God's mercy, love, and peace towards you in your life. What a prayer. What a prayer to God's people. And then he says, now it's time to tell you what I was writing about. At first, I was going to just give you a little theological treatise on our shared salvation. You're a believer, I'm a believer, he's a believer, she is a believer, wouldn't you like to be a believer too, right? That's what he was going to write to them about. But he heard something that bothered him that was going on to the people he was writing. He says, I found it necessary. I, could, I had to switch up. I had to, he could have been in the middle of pinning this common salvation letter and stopped because somebody sent him word, something's going on. What happened that made him stop? Because he was eager to write this other letter. He was excited to write this other letter. He was looking forward to it, and he stopped. Verse 4. Now, hold on, let me go back. Because this is the, thr- the, the crux of the whole thing. He says, I was writing to appeal to you to contend for the faith. Ding, ding. Fights on. Contend for the faith. If you're in doubt about the, what, what the word contend means, it means to fight. To fight. To defend. To struggle for. It's amazing what people are willing to fight over. People are willing to fight over the opinion that the Vikings are a good football team. I mean, they wear paint, they buy expensive jerseys, they pay tons of money to go to games. We buy NFL, uh, what's the NFL package, access? All to see the Vikings not win. By the way, I'm a Vikings fan, so I can say this. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. We fight over what career our kids should do based on what we observe, and they have a passion for something else. And we'll down that hill, or who they should marry, or who we should marry. But when it comes to the faith, how much gumption do we reserve to fight and contend for the faith. Well, Jude thought it was important enough that he stopped the letter he was writing to the churches to talk about it. Why is my son calling me on FaceTime? What is he doing? (laughs) Technology is not always a blessing. (laughs) Could it be that the people of God to whom Jude was writing was struggling with cultural pressure? Could it be that they were contemplating compromising the faith in order to fit in where they can get in? In order not to rock the boat? 
Oh, oh see, see, in order for uh, people to come to Christ, we got to be welcoming. We, 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 we got to understand what they, the way they talk, the way they walk. We, we, we got we to gotta get in and, 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 and get along with culture. Nowhere has God ever said, in order to bring people to me, you compromise the gospel. This is a faith that was delivered once for all. There is nothing to be added, nothing to be taken away. There is no alternative. There is no plan B. It is Christ and Christ alone. He says so much in John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. How many can come to the Father? None. Except through me. And we're so afraid to tell people that. They are doomed to the depths of hell for all eternity, and we're scared to tell them the way out. Without Christ, there is no way. Without Christ, we're all doomed to hell. He is the only way. The fact that God made a way. So there was, a, there was a set of doctrinal beliefs in the early church already. Some people think historically that the Christian faith is like this ever-forming thing that's always kind of what they call a, they don't, when we say living document now, you got to be careful. You got to be careful what people are meaning. Because some people think living document means that it can be changed. It can be adjusted to fit our current modern culture. This is not what God means by the word being living. What he means by the word being living is it will cut into your heart. It will rip you out and it will change your life. This is what God and his people mean by his word being living. So make sure you get some definitional clarity before you start talking this language with culture. Because this is God-breathed stuff. It is not meant to change in order to make somebody happy. It is settled. God sent his son to die for our knuckle-headed sinful selves. And we want to change that? Are you kidding me? If I put myself, the world better be glad I'm not God. (laughs) If I had to send one of my kids to to suffer for this stinky world, eh, I'm I'm throwing lightning bolts everywhere. It's sinful, but, but God is merciful. God is gracious. God is good. Why are we ashamed of that message? Why are we ashamed of the most powerful being doing this amazing, loving thing for humanity? Judah said, fight for that. That is good. It changes. It's the only thing that can truly deliver the drug addict. It is the only thing that can turn a murderer into a life-giving instrument of Christ. 
It's the only thing that can take a broken marriage and restore it and make it strong again. And we are afraid to tell people. We cannot be afraid. Why? Here's, what, here's the enemy. I'm going to go through this quickly because I'm running my mouth. The enemy are certain people that have crept in, unfortunately, unnoticed. We don't know who they are. They've put on some camouflage. They're incognito. They sound like us. They pray like us. But something's different. Jude says they are ungodly. And I felt like it was important to have a definition of what ungodliness is. So that Now, I'm, I'm not telling you to go out and start sniffing sinners out in your church. That's not what I'm saying. Don't do that. But it's good to be aware so you can have discernment when you're in conversation and someone says something and you go, wait a minute. So I sent you a definition. I have a definition of ungodliness from Jerry Bridges. He has a book called Respectable Sins. I would encourage a lot of you to read it. It is convicting. It hurts, but it's good. Kind of like the Bible. Ungodliness to Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, is this. Living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or of God's will or of God's glory or of one's dependence on God. It's living as if God doesn't exist. Now, most of us think ungodliness is something like this pure wickedness where people are like worshiping like they're witches and there's this and that. Ungodliness is simply living as if God doesn't exist. So extremely moralistic people can be ungodly. Guess what? Christians can be ungodly. Who are these ungodly people? So, now we're getting to the nitty-gritty. Who is our enemy? Who are they? Man, oh man, does Jew clarify this. I'm going to speak through this because I'm for lack of time, but boy, I got I to gotta hit each one at least a little bit. So in verse 4, Jew says, these are people that are designated from condemnation long ago. Hmm. I mean, even before they were born... Ooh, that's scary stuff, isn't it? These are people, think of Judas, one of the 12 who walked with Jesus for three and a half years. And all throughout the course of that time, his heart was ungodly. Wow. You are in the presence of the living Savior in front of you, and you are ungodly. You know what's worse? It's people that have the Holy Spirit living in them, and they're ungodly. Pervert the grace of God into sensuality. That means basically they're using God's grace to go after what they want. It's kind of like Romans uh, 6 where, oh, since God is so gracious, we can sin all we want. Woohoo! Party time! I'm an Epicurean Christian. <laughs> no, you're not. And here's the most important one. They deny the master. You hear what he called them? They deny the master, Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's almost beckoning back to his self-designation of being a servant of Christ. Again, can you happily say that you are a slave of Christ? Or do you say it with your mouth and then with your life, you're a rebellious servant? You know, one thing about Southern Christians, I'm from North Carolina. You might can tell a little bit by the, by the accent. Um, I won't say Southern Christians are the most godly people, but Southern Christians are pretty godly. So godly, in fact, that when we're in a room alone, and if a Christian from the South passes gas, they say, excuse me, Lord. This is how aware of God's presence I grew up in and taught. Now, that doesn't mean you have to go and say, excuse me, every time you pass gas alone. But... How aware are we of God's presence throughout our lives? Do we realize that he walks with us us every second of the day? Jude then goes into this comparison of who they're like. Unbelieving Israelites in the Exodus. You know, these people were delivered. You realize that, right? They walked with those through the Red Sea who went into the promised land. And what happened to them? They were destroyed. They made it through this tough time. They saw these miraculous signs and they walked through dry land through a sea and then saw that same sea destroy Pharaoh's army only to grumble on the other side of it. Is that how we're living our Christian lives today? We got saved and all we can do is complain to Christ about our lives. You know, Christ never promised ease. As a matter of fact, he promised the opposite. In this life, you will have many troubles. That's what I love about God. He doesn't lie. He is very honest in his word. In this life, you will have trouble. And Jesus says, but behold, I have overcome the world. Don't let the world fool you. Don't let them teach you lies about who God is or who you are. This is a war. Like the rebellious angels in Genesis 6, I know some smart people have said that they were the line of Seth. They're wrong. Because right here, Jude is confirming who these beings were in Genesis 6. If you remember, the sons of God and the daughters of men were in union. And because of that, they, they, they went against their position of authority and did something extremely offensive to God. To the point that, think about this, Satan is kind of roaming around doing his thing. These guys are locked up in the holding cell. That was extremely offensive to God. Now, some of you may think, that didn't really happen. That's just, hey, 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 hey. There's a big difference between something you shouldn't do and something you couldn't do. See, God set this commandment for the people, for the angels to say, you shouldn't do this. This is wrong. It doesn't mean they couldn't cross the line and do it. 
That's a good example of that in the Garden of Eden. Do not eat this fruit. Doesn't mean they couldn't. It meant they shouldn't. But man, they had the free will to cross that line, and they did. And so did these angels who are now waiting for judgment in a holding cell. These people, these ungodly people are like these angels. Bring in Sodom and Gomorrah, the sexually immoral people of them. Engaged in practices that are being celebrated today. Some of you, I do, some of you may have family members who struggle with things like same-sex attraction, a desire to change their bodies. I was going to save this later, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make a distinction among these people. There are some who struggle with this. And there are some who embrace this. It's up to us to know the difference. If someone is struggling with a sin, no matter what it is, I will fight with you all the way to the end. But if someone is embracing a sin, then they have become one of these ungodly people. And part of embracing a sin is when you begin to designate yourself by your sin. I don't want to hear people call themselves an alcoholic Christian. I don't want to hear people call themselves angry Christian. I don't want to hear people call themselves homosexual Christian. I don't want to hear people call themselves murderous, jealous Christian. You are not. You are a Christian who struggles. Jude said as much in his letter, contend for the faith. It's okay to struggle. It's good to struggle. And sometimes in the struggle, you may fall. But the Lord says the righteous will fall seven times. How many times will the Lord pick them up? Seven. So if you know someone that is struggling with a sin, do not condemn them. You help them. You encourage them. And if you see someone embracing a sin, you speak this truth to them. You do it in love, but don't you dare compromise what God has said about sin. Because you are preaching another gospel. Verse 8, I'm skipping because of time. (laughs) What do they do? They defile the flesh. They reject authority and they blaspheme the glorious ones. They rely on their dreams, their prophecies. See, Jude is encouraging the people to not forget the teachings of our set doctrinal beliefs because there are perverted and heretical teachings out there that is calling your name. Follow us. Believe in us. Agree with us. And you cannot do that. I'm going to skip to verse 11, what's in their hearts. Um, They are murderously prideful like Cain. They are prideful. 
prideful to the point of being murderous. We're not there yet in America, but we're inching to where being a follower of Christ may cost you much more than it has in the past. It may cost you your life. I had good friends that lost people they love in that. And you best believe these ungodly people will do whatever it takes to get rid of the message of God, including murder. They're not your friends. They're greedy for gain like Balaam. God would not let Balaam speak ill of the people of Israel. But he wanted Balak's money. I got to get that money. I can't speak ill of them. God told me not to. Isn't that interesting that a Gentile unbelieving prophet could only speak God's truth about God's people? It's weird. But he needed that money. He wanted it. So he says, um, tell you what, you get some Moabite women over here, you start mixing that marriage together. Now, now, I'm in an interracial marriage. My wife is white, I'm black. This is not what it's talking about. God has blessed my union with my wife. We have amazing, beautiful, smart, athletic, believing children. What he's talking about is their faith. Do not marry outside. Young people, listen to me. I know y'all call girls baddies and shorties and all that stuff, but let me tell you something. Two most important decisions in your life, your Lord and your wife, and for you girls, your husband. You better make sure you know what you need to look for for that. And it goes way beyond looks. If you are a believer in Christ... Make sure that the person you are intending to marry is an authentic believer in Christ. 90% of the issues are taken care of with that alone. I don't mean nominal. I don't mean their parents went to church. I'm talking about a young man who is looking for a young woman who loves Jesus more than him. And vice versa. A young woman looking for a young man who loves Jesus more than her. If you find that, 90% of issues taken care of, I guarantee you. Y'all can get through everything else together in Christ. Don't compromise. They're rebellious for power like Korah. See, Korah was jealous that Moses and Aaron were getting all the attention. Hey, 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 we're part of the tribe too, man. We, we, we We need some authority too. And so he challenged, along with 250 of his boys, he challenged. Now you got to be some kind of fool. You see what God has done to these two men, and you want to challenge them as if God has said something to you. But this is how audacious these ungodly people are today. And God says, all right, these are my boys. So go ahead and step up to the stage. And what happened to them? The earth opened up and swallowed them. Gone. God will confirm his people. Do not be afraid. 
Then he goes into these descriptions of what they're like. They're like hidden reefs at the love feast, verses 12 and 13. That means you, if you ever sailed a ship before and there's like rocks and stuff underneath and you don't see them because they're hidden. And what they do, they shipwreck you. These ungodly people will shipwreck the faith of those around them. They're shepherds feeding themselves. Can you imagine? Sheep are starving, about to die, and the shepherd's just eating a bowl of porridge right in front of them. That's how these people are. Oh, it's not loving to accept me for who I am. Uh uh. You're a shepherd feeding yourself. You're selfish. There are waterless clouds. Oh, there's rain. I mean, how many of you are aware of that drought that we had this year? You see some of them uh, crops down the... It's a dry season. Can you imagine thinking that there are rain clouds coming and they bring no rain? This is what they are. They make all these empty promises. Oh, we'll all get along. We'll all be loving. We are the world. We are the children. And then they stab you in the back the moment you turn around. There are fruitless trees in autumn. You know, autumn was the time of harvest. Autumn was the time when trees should have an abundance of fruit on it, falling off that they're so heavy. But they are fruitless in harvest time. Why are they twice dead? Well, the first reason why they're dead is that they're spiritually dead because they're not bearing fruit. Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Don't be spiritually dead, young people. Don't let them quench the Spirit in your hearts that God fought so hard for you for. Don't be afraid. And then are twice dead because then they're uprooted and thrown away. So not only did they not bear fruit, they're no longer even in the ground, secured. Wild waves of the sea crashing their every deeds on shore. I'm from the coast. I know like when, when, when the tide is high, and they're coming crashing on the sea, and they draw back. All that trash that was in there comes right up there sitting on the coastline. You're like, I'm not swimming today. That's how they are. They, they, they thrust their evil deeds out in the open. They're not even ashamed of it anymore. There was a time when all this immorality and sensuality was done in the dark. Not anymore. They, they, they thrust it on everyone for everyone to see. Look at my, look at who I am. I'm an expressive individual and you must acknowledge me. You must affirm me. The wandering stars headed for eternal darkness. Actually, the word for this is planets. See, they didn't have telescopes like we have today. So when a planet was going through its orbit, it would disappear. And they thought that it went somewhere to be gone. To be consumed by the darkness of space. And that's how these people are. If they keep their course of life, there will be reserved for utter darkness for them for all eternity. I'm almost done. Woo. Blame Jude. <laughs> How they live. They are grumblers. They speak against. They murmur. They whisper. They make you doubt. Think of the serpent in the garden. Did God say? Did God say? Did he really? What is he keeping from you? You need to be liberated. You need to be free. This idea of freedom. This idea of freedom being doing whatever you want. 
It's foolishness. True freedom and maturity is being able to look at what's destructive and saying no to it. I will not go that way because God has redeemed my mind that I can see that this is wrong and this is destructive. If humanity was left alone, we'd all go off the cliff. Thank the Lord for his intervention. They're malcontents. They're fault finders. They complain and never satisfied. Sin is never content. It wants more. And as we accommodate, they push it more. And accommodate, they push it more. And accommodate, they push it more. There was a time when seeing a man and a woman in the same bed on TV was offensive. People don't even bat an, kids don't even bat an eye to that anymore. Assuming they're not married. People don't even care. Oh, I don't like this Disney movie, but since it's Disney, I'm going to take my kid and see it. Uh Uh-uh. Quit compromising. The more you give, the more they'll take. That's how ungodly people are. They don't want equality. And I'm just talking about just the transgender stuff. There's a lot more than that. Ungodly people don't want equality. They want control. This is the whole point. They won't control. And they want to send you to your destruction because you're a threat. Because you got the truth in you. They follow their own sinful desires. They easily give over to what their hearts want them to do. Impulsive. Do whatever you feel. They're loudmouth boasters, arrogant trash talkers. That's why I said about the NBA. I can't stand it. My son plays basketball. So if I ever hear you trash talk on that court, the coach don't have to take you out. You'll be sitting beside me courtside. No, that is not you. That's not how we're raising you. You speak life into people. Don't speak death. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. You can lift someone up and encourage them to touch the clouds or your words can bring them down to the depths of shale that they'll never be able to come out. And then favoritism to gain advantage. Oh, they love to flatter. They see a person with a certain position or a certain amount of money. Oh, yeah. you. And they, and they just rub shoulders with them till they get what they want. Millions and billions of dollars have been passed in the last five years to these deceitful organizations I've ever seen before in this country. It's nuts. The amount of money that's gone to things that are destructive in this world. Almost done. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I'm not sorry. (laughs) Because here's the good news. Verse 17 He says, but you, now he's coming back. Now you know who the enemy is. Now you know the bad guys. How do you beat them? How do you outlast the bad guys? But you, the ones who are called, the ones who are beloved in God, the one who are kept in Christ, you must remember the predictions of our apostles. This right here, guys, more valuable than gold. More precious than silver, sweeter than honey. Know your word, people of God. 
This may be illegal one day. Is it in here enough that if this was taken, you could survive on what's in here? Young people, if you want to overcome depression and anxiety, get truth in you. Get truth in you. Get truth in you. Remember the prediction of the apostles. In the last time, there will be scoffers following their own godly passions. We told you about this. Why are you surprised? No one should be surprised at what's happening today. You knew this was coming. Following their own ungodly passions, it is these who cause divisions. Who? Are we seeing divisions in the church today? My goodness, are we seeing divisions in the church today? Why? Because the churches are full of ungodly people. That's why. Worldly people, devoid of the Spirit of God. They're very religious. They dress a lot better than I do. I think if an ungodly person and me were standing beside each other, they'd probably pass them off more for a Christian than I would on the outside. But we got to know better than that. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the heart. But you, beloved... Here's your exercise program. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, learn my word. And then the other part of your, of your strength program, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. How many young people one day are just sitting there saying, I'm here because my grandparents prayed for me. They knew it. They knew family was loving them into the Lord. Prayer works. Prayer in the Holy Spirit is powerfully working. Know your word and pray. Keep yourself, this is how you keep yourselves in the love of God. And then guess what? Look to the future. Don't live so much in the present. It ain't no pie in the sky stuff. I was told one day, you so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I was like, that's impossible. There's too much flesh in me to be that way. I got to keep focused on heaven or I will go off the rails. Look for eternity. This is what Paul says. I reach for the prize that is set before me. Keep heaven in your sights. It is worth it. It is worth it. The place that Jesus has prepared for you, it is worth the sufferings that we go through on this earth. Stay mindful of that. And then he says this, this exercise program is not just for you, but for those around you. Have mercy on those who doubt. Remember, those who struggle with sin, it's okay to struggle. Help those who doubt. Help those who are weak. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Show mercy with fear. Here's why. Hating even the garment stained by flesh. What in the world does that mean? When you're ministering to others, you got to be careful that you don't get caught up in the same sin that they're in. You may have a certain sin weakness, and you may have a heart for certain people who are struggling with that sin weakness, but you're not yet delivered enough to be able to go in there and minister to them. It's okay. He's saying that's okay. Don't put yourself in a compromising situation. 
Young ladies, if you want a friend of yours who's a guy sharing the gut, don't you meet with him alone. No, no, no. You have some friends with you. You, you, you stay pure. Have no appearance of evil. Young man, self-control. If I could write a book to the young men today, the title and all 300 pages would just say the word self-control over and over again. Do not be impulsive. Do not follow your passions. It's this garment that is stained by, it's like, what he's saying is garment stained by the flesh is like the closest garment to your body. It's your underwear. And what do you do with dirty underwear? You don't sit there, oh, you go, ooh. Mm, put that in the hamper. That's how we have to approach the sin of the world. We got to be careful. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say not to engage with it, but engage with it carefully. Engage with it with discernment. And then guess what? You'll be saving some. You'll be helping some. You'll be encouraging others. And I'm going to end with this. I want everyone to put your hands out. This doxology in verse 24 and 25 is for all of us. If you're on that, I want you to read it with me. Everyone has the ESV? If you got a different, if you got a different version, don't read it because we'll be all over the place. <laughs> if you have ESV, read this with me. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you.